Two weeks ago in our study of Kingdom Encounters, we um, began looking at chapter 13. And in this chapter, Jesus teaches us life-changing truths. In these stories, they're called parables. And this morning, we're going to come to the end of chapter 13. We've spent uh, two weeks already. There's a lot of ground to cover. Not, you know, there's just more that we can, than we can cover in one in one worship hour together. And, and we come to the end of this morning. And and this, we are studying these kingdom encounters of Matthew. But this, these last three weeks, it's we've I've titled it confused. <laughs> uh, because these parables, these stories, they, they can be rather confusing, these images. Uh, a parable is, is defined, I'll remind you one more time, it's, it's, it's a fictitious narrative by which either the duties of men or the things of God are portrayed. And so this morning we will look at the last, the last few, and so we will jump around a little bit in Matthew 13, but, but if you turn to Matthew 13, and I'll point to where we're going... The mustard seed, there in verse 31. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Verse 33, Jesus spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and He did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, I will utter, open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Please go down to verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus says down in verse 51, Have you understood all these things? (laughs) And they say to him, Yes. Then Jesus says in 52, Therefore every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. And then in 53, Jesus finishes the parables. He departs from there. 54 reads, He came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogues, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom, these miraculous powers? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are, Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. The mustard seed there in verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. A man takes and sows in the field... And this is smaller than all other seeds. 
When it's full grown, it's larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its very branches. You know, we've, we've seen this image of seeds the last, this last few weeks. This seed is small. Jesus, in fact, says that the mustard seed is smaller than all the rest. But when grown, the seed grows into a tree. <laughs> a tree. A tree big enough to sustain life. Who would, have, <laughs> who would have ever believed that? Have we have we ever made a snap judgment based on a first impression? Have we ever judged a book by the cover? The leaven. Verse 33, Jesus speaks this next parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened and hidden in three pecks, leaven. I, I did not know what a peck was. I remember the song about, I love you a bushel and a peck. Yeah. And some of your translations may say measure rather than peck. Um, a measure is equal to nearly three English gallons. And so we're talking three measures. So that's a fairly substantial load of flour. And so what happens? Well, unlike many of you in this room, I'm not a baker. <laughs> uh, so I know, in fact, I'm probably preaching to the choir, but I find this fascinating. Uh, I had to go read about leavening agents yeast and fermentation and the release of carbon dioxide and ethanol and and of course you know encyclopedia encyclopedia britannica now exists on the internet so britannica.com uh shared a lot i learned a lot uh, it's fascinating and, and there's a chemical reaction expansion and this gas is released we watched the the great british baking show um where contestants challenge one another over a, a period of several weeks and in a variety of baking competitions, and some creations are absolutely over the top with imagination. Some of you may have, may have seen the series. Um, really, it's out of this world. And, and one of the judges is a celebrity baker uh, named Paul Hollywood. Paul Hollywood, I read some of his thoughts on bread preparation, and I saw some parallel images to kingdom growth and spiritual development, which are astounding. The kneading process helps work the gluten in the flour to create a smooth elastic dough. When kneading, the dough is stretched out and then folded back on itself and flattened again and again. And it can take between 5 and 10 minutes until the consistency of the dough changes and it becomes smoother and more elastic. You know, the spirit really does work out the rough places in our lives over time and through trial as he stretches us, doesn't he? Yeah. In terms of rising, the, the dough has to rise until it at least doubles in size. and It takes time. You know, 
maybe not for you, but for me, waiting on the things of God, that can be a real drag and a real drain. Waiting's hard. Knocking back the dough. This was something I was not familiar with. Uh, after rising, the dough's got to be knocked back. The, this process makes it easier to handle and shape and helps create a uniform texture to the dough. And the dough is taken out of the bowl and folded repeatedly in on itself by the heels of the baker's hands until it's smooth and all the air is knocked out of it. Wow. Knocked back down to size. It sounds like life. Have you ever been knocked back down to size? Yeah. You know, we have this image in Scripture of the potter and the potter's will. Proving. During this final stage, Paul Hollywood says, the shaped bread is left to rise before it can be baked. You can tell when the dough is ready by gently pressing it and seeing if it springs back. If the dough starts to crease and slump slightly, it has overproved. And if this is the case, knock it back and shape the dough again and let it prove once more. Proving. Challenges in our lives, these, these things that press on us, these pushbacks, these show the world who we really are. Lots of, to me, parallels. Miss Kim in the office and I were talking about the parable on Tuesday, and you know, she's a baker, as, as most of you, I'm sure, know. And I wanted her impression on this. And, and she referenced the point of patience. And she said I could quote her. <laughs> but she said part of the recipe is waiting. Waiting on the things of God. For this parable, if... <laughs> If there's an expected reaction on which a result is pending, I mean, there is an expectancy of a great expanse, but we have to wait on it. Jesus says in verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So a buried treasure is found, and it's hidden again. And the finder wants to keep it. So, again, I'm reading this and I have this image. You know, you've got this guy, maybe it's, maybe it's a late autumn afternoon and he's strolling through, through a, a patch of trees and he's looking at the leaves on the ground and he sees something that doesn't fit. And he walks over and maybe kicks some dust off it and he sees some dirt off of it and he sees something of great value. And he begins to quickly unearth it and he sees, oh my goodness, <laughs> wow. And then he rises up and he looks, is, is anybody watching? Is there anybody, has anybody left, you know? So he quickly covers it back up and he begins to form a plan. The assumption is that he quickly sells all that he has in order to buy the field with buried treasure. And the, and the man knows the value of the item in the field and the man knows the value of what all else he owns. He sees the value of both. And then Jesus says, and from joy over it, he makes the trade. He, he doesn't dilly-dally, I wouldn't think. I mean, the text doesn't tell us the time frame. 
But if the man has made the discovery and then he's hidden the treasure, I would imagine he's trying to beat the clock or beat the sundial. He's, he's trying to get this thing going. Jesus mentions a costly pearl there in 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. So it's a similar concept to the buried treasure. The merchant finds the pearl of great value, and the merchant, intent on purchasing the pearl, sells all that he has. And he buys the pearl of great value. But what's the difference between the hidden treasure and, and this pearl? I mean, there's, why did Jesus tell us both of these? Well, there, there's no picture in this one of anything hidden. The merchant, is this, uh, there's no accident of, of stumbling upon a treasure. This one is a merchant, someone who knows the market in which he's working. The phrase, you can't beat a man at his own game, comes to mind, and Several months ago, I, I needed to have a tree cut down at the house. And the neighbor was having one removed. We had had a storm blow through midweek, and she was having one removed. And, and when the job was finished, the, the tree surgeon walked across the yard and he apologized uh, for what he called his mess. Very nice young man. Well, we're chatting. My, my tree is still up, but it, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's coming down. Matter of time. And so one conversation becomes another, and, and the gentleman gives me a quote, and he told me to call him. Well, as I'm a guitar player, <laughs> this was really out of my wheelhouse, so to speak. And, and, and I know guitar, and I know, I, I, know, I know that line of work and that business, and, but I don't know the tree business. And so I called a friend of mine who is a contractor. And I knew he would know more about what needed to be done and the value of what needed to be done. And, and so I told him, and he said, Jake, jump on that offer. <laughs> jump on it today. Call the guy today. Well, this pearl merchant in the parable, you know, he's a professional. And he knows the market, and, and he knows what he's doing. And, and, and the kingdom of heaven and the things of God... Jesus is saying, has value for all walks of life. All walks of life. And, and if it's accidental or maybe it's intentional, if, if you're a novice or if you're a pro, whether you stumble upon it out in the field or you intentionally seek it like the pearl merchant, these things of the kingdom, these things of God, they have value to you more than anything else. Jesus says in 51, he asks this question, have you understood all these things? Wow, that's... <laughs> wow. They say to him, yes. Jesus says to them, therefore every scribe who's become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household and who, who brings out his treasures, uh, both things new and, and things old. A scribe, well, we saw a scribe, we first saw these in, in chapter 8, uh, in Jerusalem, a scribe, he studied the, the Jewish law. He's a religious teacher. Uh, they're, they're men of learning. They hang out with the chief priests and the Pharisees. And so when Jesus says that every scribe is like a head of a household who brings out his treasures, 
brings out of the treasures things new and old. The point is, the scribe now sees more in full. The scribe now sees the value. The, the scribe sees the full realization of the Old Testament law and the prophets now arriving in Jesus. Amen. It's going from AM to FM stereo. Widescreen. Jesus being the fulfillment of all that has been shown thus far in Scripture. Going all the way back to Genesis. Well, then Jesus goes home. Verse 53 says, When Jesus finished these parables, He departs from there. He comes to His hometown, and He begins teaching in the synagogue. And it says they were astonished, and so they ask a series of questions. Where did this man get this wisdom? And, and these miraculous powers. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is his mother not, not Mary? Is his, are his brothers not James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are, are they not all with us? Where, where then did the man get all this stuff? And they take offense at him. And Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And subsequently, Jesus does not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. And they, they ask five questions. I mean, they're first astonished at the teaching of Jesus, and they ask five questions. Where did this man get his wisdom and these miraculous powers? Well, his father, and with a capital F... <laughs> Because he and the Father are one. Is this not the carpenter's son? Well, in a sense, <laughs> the carpenter raised him. Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Yes. And his sisters, are they not all with us? Well, we assume the answer would be yes, the text doesn't really give us any further clarification here, but we assume it to be so. Where did the man get all this stuff? Ah, mm. <laughs> at, at first, they recognize something extraordinary about Jesus. But then they take the extraordinary and they begin to contrast it with the ordinary. They begin to let the ordinary eclipse the extraordinary. Maybe they can't handle the challenge of the extraordinary. And, and then, as is so often the case... Ignorance, not, not stupidity, but ignorance leads to resentment. They take offense at Jesus. And Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own, own household. Why? 
personal example. I was called into the ministry on Saturday, August the 7th, 1993. In January of 1994, I started classes at Southern Seminary in, in Louisville, Kentucky. And I was walking to class, and I ran into a friend of mine who knew me from college. And after the initial hellos, he said, Who are you up here visiting? <laughs> so I told him my story. I told him of my calling to ministry, and, and, and I told him my kingdom encounter. And he smiled, and he said, Really? Who's up here? Maybe we can all grab lunch. Sometimes it's hard to see something new and something familiar. Jesus did not do many miracles because of their unbelief. And why? Well, maybe you remember when Jesus healed the two demoniacs back in Matthew chapter 8, you know, he dispels the demons into a, into a herd of swine. And, and the whole town, rather than celebrating that the, these two men were finally set free, they pleaded with Jesus to leave them alone. They, they did not want to have a kingdom encounter. And, and in a similar fashion, the, these home folk, they, they write Jesus off. What a tragedy. A lack of belief, an unwillingness to trust past what one can reconcile. These home folk, they can watch these kingdom encounters. I mean, we've seen 13 chapters of them. But sometimes things that are familiar, maybe not just people they know, but they refer to these daughters of Mary, these sisters to Jesus as they were, but things familiar... Maybe routines, maybe attitudes make it difficult to see. Where the merchant sees the value and is willing to make the trade, where the treasure hunter, the accidental treasure hunter, makes the trade with joy, these home folk are unwilling to reconcile the extraordinary with the ordinary. And they miss a kingdom encounter. This lack of belief, this unwillingness to trust. In verse 34 this morning, we read that all these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and He did not speak to them without a parable. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Uh, I will open my mouth, in verse 35, I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Jesus quotes uh, what is first written in Psalm 78. Now the psalmist writes, I will open my mouth in a parable, I will utter dark sayings of old. I still think that the classic biblical scholar, Matthew Henry, says it best. And, and two weeks ago I gave you this quote. I'm going to read it one more time. Christ taught in parables. Thereby the things of God were made more plain and easy to those willing to be taught and at the same time more difficult and obscure 
to those who were willingly ignorant. A tragedy then and, and a tragedy now. A lack of belief and unwillingness to trust past what one can reconcile. We can watch God work in these kingdom encounters even today, but, but sometimes things that are familiar, maybe friends, relatives, routines, attitudes, make it hard to really see and understand and, and to really register. Kind of like writing off the potential of a mustard seed because of its size. Maybe not willing to wait on the leaven. Maybe the fear of being stretched or kneaded like dough, knocked back and stretched again. Where the pearl merchant sees the value and is willing to make the trade. And where the man who stumbled upon the hidden treasure makes the trade with joy. With joy. These home folk at the end of the chapter, they're unwilling to reconcile the extraordinary with the ordinary. And they miss a kingdom encounter. God help us not to do the same thing. Let's pray together. Father, your word really blows us away. The fact that you have come to draw near to us by giving us your Son. Father, in this season where we count our blessings, Father, we count the blessing of being able to draw near to you because of what Jesus has done for us. Um, Lord, this morning... We are reminded as we see in these parables that a very extraordinary thing has happened. Not just in life there, but in our lives now. In our lifetimes, we have an extraordinary Savior who has offered us an extraordinary salvation because He has gone to the cross for us not on anything we, have, we do to earn it, not the fact that we may not see in full, we may not understand in full, but you have given us a beautiful Savior. And without, without Him, we would have no way of being able to have fellowship with you. So this morning, as we read these confusing stories, we are reminded that the answer to, at the end of all of this is the fact that you have sent your son Jesus to dispel any mystery, any question, any confusion that you've made it so clear that Jesus going to the cross for us, taking our sin, if we trust that, if we believe that, then we can have salvation full and free because of only what Christ alone has done for us. In this season, we say thank you. Father, we stand and we worship now.
proudly proclaiming our faith and our trust in what Jesus has done. It's in his name we pray and we sing. Amen. Let's stand together.